You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. We'll not read it all, we'll just go through it um, bit by bit. Uh, The words, I think, will come up on the screen, but you should have it in your Bibles anyway. Page 606. Now, we live in a world where, rightly, people are very concerned about the environment. And and I have to say that, as a Christian, I find it quite difficult how a non-Christian can be aware of the universe that we're in, the world that we're in, and, and not be depressed. Because, for example, we've just landed a or human, human beings have just landed a machine on a comet that's traveling at 40,000 miles per hour. Uh, the scientists tell us that at any time um, a comet could hit us and wipe us out. We are constantly being warned about how the environment is in enormous, enormous dangers through global warming and so on. And we're also constantly being warned about our diets and about things that we eat that are bad for us. It's, uh, sometimes I feel that we are being fed a message, which is, for those of you who are old enough to remember, Dad's Army, Private Fraser, doomed, doomed, we're all doomed. Um, it's not really Christians who are going around with placards saying the end of the world is nigh. It tends to be, at least in my experience, uh, non-Christians. Now, here is the Christian answer to all of that is in this psalm, which is a song of praise about God's creation. It's turning, if you like, environmental theory into wonder and praise. It is actually based upon Genesis chapter 1. And if you go through this psalm, and compare it with Genesis 1, you will find that each of the sections of the psalm refers to a section of Genesis chapter 1. What's interesting about the message of the whole psalm is to say that you can observe God in His works, and you can know Him. Now, we know that because human beings are dark and sinful, we don't do that, and we need Jesus to enlighten us But when we come to know Christ and we receive the light of the world, it should enable us to see the creation in a very, very different light. Throughout the whole psalm, there are two different tenses used, and it's quite important. One is the perfect tense, and that carries this idea of something being fixed and settled. So, God's majesty is permanent. God's greatness is permanent. And the creation that He has done, it was done, finished. But there's also the imperfect tense used, the regular repetitive, the repeated word work of God in satisfying earth's needs and renewal. And that's what most of the psalm is about. So let's begin. Praise the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. 
He makes the cloud his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. God clothing himself. In the Bible, clothing is used as a metaphor for character. And the psalmist begins by praising not so much God's creation, God, but God himself. He is light. 1 John 1 verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. He is also the giver of light. He is the source of light. Sometimes you can feel within yourself and you can feel within this world a sense of great darkness, great blackness, great despair. It is God who brings light. I do think uh, cycling down to Swan House for this week's Connect, there were some of the days that were very gray and, you know, drich for our friends from Slovakia. That's the word we we taught you, drich, a good Scots word. Um, And yet you contrast today, the sun shining in, we have to put blinds up so that we're not blinded by the sun, blinded by the light. I think that's a very good picture of how many of us in our lives, sometimes we feel just really dreek, really gray and, and darkness. Great is the darkness that covers not only the earth, but also our whole hearts. And we do need to know the lightness and the beauty and the illumination of the Lord. Well, the the psalmist is speaking of that. God is transcendent beyond us, but he's also imminent with us. Now, that's important in understanding the creation because there's a kind of theology which sees God as just as remote from the creation. We call that deism. That's the idea that God created the universe, if you like, wound it up like a clock, and he's just stepped back. But no, he hasn't just stepped back. There's another kind, though, of theology where God is identified with the creation, where our Hindu friends, for example, would say, well, that that turnip is God, that potato is God, that carrot is God, you are God. And that's pantheism. And God is not the creation, but he dwells within the creation. That's what it means here when it talks about He makes the clouds his chariots and rides on the wings of the wind. The invisible forces in the creation do God's will. And that includes the angels. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. This is quoted in Hebrews 1 verse 7 of the angels. One man says this, that fire is expressive of irresistible power, immaculate holiness, and ardent emotion. So what's already happening in this song is that the creation is telling us about God. God is revealed in his creation. And then verse 5, he sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the deepest with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. 
Never again will they cover the earth. God is the engineer. He set up the basic rules. I'm a Christian and I believe in evolution, in, at least in this way, that I think things evolve in this earth. Of course they do. Not everything is absolutely fixed. Things evolve and change. But they only do so within the foundations and within the limits that God has set. You need laws. You need principles. And they don't just come from nowhere. They come from God. The boundaries of the floods, man cannot control. You know the story of King Canute, how in order to demonstrate his power, he had his throne taken down to the seashore and on the beach. He sat there and commanded the waves to stay back, and he almost drowned. We cannot control nature. We think we can do a better job than God in controlling nature. We are asked to be God's servants in, or stewards in terms of nature, but it is God who is sovereign over all. We need to recognize that it is in God we live and move and have our being. It's in His world that we live and move and have our being. When we sometimes people talk about creation, and yesterday we were looking at uh, equality, and uh, or at least uh, the part I did was looking at equality. And you know the famous uh, American Declaration that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator. If we don't have a creator, how are we equal? We're not equal in terms of our quality. We're not equal in terms of our gifts. We're not equal in terms of our background. But we are all equally created by the creator in the image of the creator. And we live in the creator's world. The doctrine of creation is hugely, hugely important for us. That, um, I love this stuff down here, the, the wheat, um, because I grew up on a farm and was involved in harvest, and even as somebody who as yet did not believe, taking in a trailer load of grain, putting it in the barn, getting it ready for the dryer, just to sit in that stuff and lift it and sift it and say, this is, this is grain, this is the substance of life. I knew, I knew that it, it wasn't an accident. I knew that it wasn't something that just happened to be, that of all the planets and all the universe and all the places, somehow the, the, this managed to produce this stuff that would sustain us. There is a creation which is indisputable. It is a logical and clear position to say that the creation has a creator. And then he goes on to talk about life. He didn't just make it. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the air nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. In this particular stanza of this song, water and springs uh, are at the beginning and, and the end. Water is provided by God for the creation. Without water, we cannot have life for the wild 
as well as for the domestic animals. Simple, simple, simple principle. But animals are to be cared for, not just produced for slaughter. Verse 12, the birds sing. I love what uh, Wesley says about this. The music of the birds was the first song of thanksgiving which was offered from the earth before man was formed. If we had invented or created the world, if we'd invented a world, it would have been so dull compared with the variety that it exists in what God has created. For me, if I, even to go out into the garden or to walk through Balgay Park or something and to hear the birds singing with their different songs and their different notes, it's just absolutely incredible. Why? It's not necessary for birds to sing. Is it necessary for life for them to sing? It's just the rich diversity that God has given. And that water goes on, verse 13 to 18. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread that sustains his heart. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. They seek him his home in the pine trees. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge to the conies. Grass for the cattle, plants for man, wine that gladdens the heart. Isn't it true that many a depressed spirit has been strengthened by a good meal? That sometimes you're feeling really discouraged and really low and really dark and bit of rest, bit of good food, the wine that makes glad the heart of a man. Again, it's a basic lesson. The simple things that God provides are things that we should rejoice in and be thankful for. Again, when we create things, what do we do? Mass-produced, synthetic, plastic cardboard. God uses the creation to create. It grows. It takes time. It needs to be harvested and worked on. There's an environment, if you like, for everyone, not just for human beings. The wild goats, they're provided with the crags. They have an un uncanny ability to climb the ibex. They, they could jump and climb on the crags, and there's an environment for them. There's an environment for everyone. Even in this fallen world, we see that. And even more, the moon marks off the seasons and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The, riot, the lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then man goes out to his work, to his labor, until evening. This stanza of the song is saying there are seasons and times. We're heading now towards winter. It's right that we rejoice that the harvest is in and we give thanks for the harvest. It's great to have the colors of autumn. Imagine if you lived in a country where there were kind of like no seasons. It might sound great, wouldn't it? It's sunshine all the time. I, I quite like living in Scotland. 
I like the fact that we've got these different seasons, and I like the fact, even the kind of gloom and doom stuff around um, January, February, and so on, it kind of just makes you appreciate the summer all the more. And there's, there's good things even in that as well. It's good to recognize that there are seasons in different parts of our lives as well. Creation really is a wonderful system for the maintenance and enjoyment of life, and it's the Creator who does it. Alec Motier says this, creation is a subtly adapted system for the maintenance and enjoyment of life, and this by the direct action of the Creator who makes springs, waters, makes grass grow, and plants. There's an old Puritan uh, saying from verse 21, the lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. I kind of like this actually, spiritualizes it a bit, but it says, the lions roar and seek, but too many are lions before God and roar, but never seek. You know, God has given us this environment, and He's given us this environment, as Paul says to the Greeks in Athens, that we may reach out for Him and seek Him and find Him. And then man has a definite work, a real conscious part to play in the creation. And that's interesting because the plants don't work and the animals don't work, but we work. We are God's vice regents, if you are. We're we're here to care for the creation and look after the creation. Again, Why is it that so many Christians, we we were looking at this yesterday, how we react against what's being taught in the world, we go by the devil's agenda, and because there's a kind of extremist aspect to environmentalism, where you've got the whole Gaia philosophy and nature is nature and there is no God, Christians react against that and say, well, we're not environmentalists. Well, we should be, we are, because this is God's world, it is God's creation, and we have been sent as His stewards. How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and the Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. These all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up, When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. Animal, vegetable, mineral, all God's work. The creation teems with life and activity, from the smallest plankton to the great leviathan, and the constant hustle and bustle of mankind. And all of it is dependent on the generosity of God. Why bother having a thanksgiving service? We live in the city. Really? So where do you think your food comes from? The great God Tesco's? Well, that God's fading, isn't it? The great God Aldi then. Where's your food? come from. Ultimately, it comes from God. I wonder how many of us genuinely sit down at a table and give thanks to God for 
food, for the food that's before us? Or how many of us just do it as a kind of habit? Or how many of us actually don't even bother? We just think, I bought it. It's my food. I got it. If you ever worked in a garden or a wee plot, let's say you grow some carrots and you put your carrot on your table, you don't look at the carrot and go, I made that. How cool am I? No, you cultivated it. You planted the seed in. You bothered to look after it. Um, And if you didn't, then probably it wouldn't be there. But you didn't make it. The great thing is human beings working in cooperation with the environment that God has created. He gives, we gather. That's what we celebrate this morning. But we can only gather what He gives. And we do have to go and get it. We don't just sit and wait for it to fall into our laps. But all of us, whether we know it or not, depend on the Creator to provide. We exist only by what He gives. Emily and Hamish, they are gifts of God. And like all of us, they are subject to His sovereign determination. And that includes from the moment of conception to the day of our death. Life on earth itself only continues because because God wills to renew it. When God turns away, all support is gone, all resources fail, and we die. A breath creates, God's breath creates, God's withdrawal destroys our breath, and that is the end. He breathed His last We are so, so arrogant as a human species. We think that we can control the earth. And in our arrogance, I suspect we probably think that eventually we can control the universe. And it's so, so wrong. It is God who is creator, God who is sustainer, God who is provider, and God who is sovereign. And all of that's in there, and all of that is wonderful. And all of that brings joy. From verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to Him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. See, the psalmist looks at the creation and it fills him with joy. Uh, Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now, the the kind of anti-hero of it, the soldier who's gone bad, he just talks about the horror, the horror, the horror as he observes the war, as he observes the killing, as he observes what's within his own heart, the heart of darkness in the words of Conrad Black's novel, the horror. The Christian looks and sees, even in the midst of a fallen world, even conscious of sinfulness, the Christian looks and says, the joy, the joy, the joy. The glory of the Lord is displayed in His created universe. If God were to 
withdraw His glory, then the whole universe would collapse. Now, I don't have time to go into this, but one of the great arguments for, if you like, one of the great proofs for the existence of God is the universe and how especially the fine-tuning of the universe, how the electromagnetic forces and atomic nuclei are just right for life, how gravity uh, is just right for life, how properties of carbon are just right for life. There's an agnostic uh, scientist called Paul Davis, and he's put it this way. He wrote a book describing it, uh, the Goldilocks enigma, he says. You know the story of Goldilocks that she goes to taste the porridge and and daddy's porridge was too salt and, and, or too hot, and mommy's porridge was uh, too sweet or too cold, but baby porridge was just right. Well, the universe is just right for there to be life on earth. Everything we know, science is such a wonderful thing, and those who are involved in, in uh, biological sciences, molecular biology, and so on. As you, you look at the DNA and the structures of plants and of molecules, it is absolutely incredible. But we now don't know that everything contains information. And as John Lennox so brilliantly argues, he says, well, we also know about information. It's an axiom of science that everything consists of information, but that no information self-generates, that something causes it. God speaks. He speaks His Word and it's there. You with your incredible DNA. I'm told that um, the properties that make up our body are basically your 50% cucumber. Um, I actually find that quite thrilling, not depressing at all. I, if you're a scientist and that's rubbish, just tell me afterwards. But you know, you know how you're meant to be like 98% chimpanzee and people go, isn't that, you know, isn't that terrible? Doesn't that prove we're all apes? No, it doesn't. We're all of the dust of the earth. That's what the Bible says. You know, no, um, Sinclair is not going to hold up wee Emily and go, you wee cucumber, um, unless that's a particular Glaswegian form of affection. But it's, it's it, I mean, I just think it's incredible that, that we are connected to the whole universe in that way. It is God alone, who, though, who brings stability and life. The universe is genuinely, absolutely fragile, even those things that seem really solid to us. You see, with global warming, I'm, I'm personally... I'm convinced that a huge amount of it is to do with humanity. But I'll tell you this, spots on the sun, a slight change in the sun, could wreck our whole planet. It could be just like that. Who knows? I, I, I believe in a God who holds not just the whole world, but the whole universe in His hand. Alexander Carson wrote about this. He said, How chill and withering is the breath of that noxious philosophy that would detach our minds from viewing God in His works of providence. This malaria destroys all spiritual life. It is not being mush and too poetic to say, I listen to the birds, I look at the flowers, I see in the creation the glory of the Creator. It's a noxious philosophy, as Carson says, that wants to detach us from the creation and the creation from God. Sinners have no security in His creation. That's why for all of us, we must seek to know Him, to have our sins forgiven and to praise Him. And our response is surely this. Our response is to praise Him. I will sing to the Lord all my life. My song will be pleasing to Him May my meditation be pleasing to Him as I rejoice in the Lord. 
Our praise is not half-hearted. Oh, God, you are very great. Your universe is great, but you are very great. We do need to meditate. We need to think of Him. Meditation is the soul of religion. We need to meditate, above all, on Christ. It's through Christ that all this is created and made. Now, again, and I don't have time, but thinking about meditation and so on, I know that some of us immediately think you sit cross-legged and you light a couple of joysticks or whatever and chant, mm, uh, no. That's not what we mean by meditation. A lot of Christians run away from it because of that thing. But to meditate, it means to think about, to ponder, to take your time. And that is difficult in our culture. So, basic advice to that is slow down. Take a chill pill. Stop. Look at the creation. When you walk to work or you take the bus to work, you take the car to work, go 10, 15 minutes early and just stop and look and thank God. Look at people. Meditate about God's creation. Meditate about the apex of that creation, humanity. But above all, meditate about Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done. Because all things focus on Christ. The whole creation is longing for the renewal that He brings. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. It ends with hallelujah. First time in this psalm that it's used. The whole psalm finishes. We look at the creation. We look at providence. We look at all that God has given. And as I say, even in the midst of a fallen world, we can see that. It is very clear. It reflects the glory and the beauty of God. And it causes us to sing. Jesus puts the song into our hearts. I hope and pray that those of us who are believers are a thankful people. There are so many things that we can and do moan about, so many frustrations, so many troubles, so many problems, and I don't want to add to them by giving you a guilt complex about not being thankful. But we do need to look in a different perspective and see things in a different light and just be amazed at what God has granted and what God has given. I know that I'm particularly blessed, and many of us are, to be able to sit this morning at a breakfast with friends to celebrate my daughter's birthday, to have the variety. I mean, who would have thought there could have been so many different varieties of pancake? You know, and we've, we've only just begun, you know? It's like, for me, it's a great picture of heaven. Heaven will be eternal pancakes with infinite variety. You know, it's just fantastic. Banana pancake, wonderful. Blueberry pancake, fantastic. You can make pancake about anything, I think. It's just great, just that God has given us just that huge variety. And we're so monotone and monochrome and, oh, I want it this way, I want it that way, you know. Don't change anything, don't do that. And say, God has this just wonderful variety and we can be thankful. But suppose you're sitting at the table and you're mourning the death of someone. You're mourning the burdens and the pressures that come upon us. Do you know, even in that we can be thankful for what God has given and for how God will ultimately change and bring that 
so that all things work for the good of those who love him. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But please, whatever our circumstances, let us be thankful to our gracious and almighty God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your many gifts. And most of all, thank you for the gift of Christ. In your name, amen. Now we're going to stand and sing from this psalm again. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.